America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. And today's raids ended with nine arrests and 
so when you had um, when you had the crackdown on marijuana smuggling, you had more people start to grow in the United States. When you started ramping up the penalties for cultivation, you just had people try and cultivate stronger pot because if you're going to get popped, you may as well get popped with plants that are going 20% THC and could make a decent pile of money as opposed to plants that were down around 6 or 8%. Right. And why even bother? Right. Um, and, uh, and people learn to get better. Uh, it's just, it's, 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 the thing is they do get better at finding things and stopping smuggling. So that's why people move on to new substances and the more dangerous, the more, uh, the more synthetic it's, it's a thing that's got, it's an, it's a sign of how far out of hand the drug war has become. Yes. In, Back in the day, the Yippies in the 1980s had a uh, had a simple thing: um, boycott hard drugs um, and uh, and promote plant products, natural plant products. So cannabis, the cannabis plant, weed. I prefer pot, frankly, but anyway, you know the, the plant and also the coca plant and opium plant, the poppies, um, if people had access to the plant products with things like coca tea and coca wine, and there are actually a lot of products that can be made with coca leaf. Dave is, um, Dave is salivating. Thing. Dave is salivating, right? His, he's got a look in his eye as you're describing these coca products. I just want to let you know that because you can't, you can't <laughs> be here with us, but well, continue, please continue. You can even make this stuff into, uh, into uh, coca flour. I mean, it's, uh, I, Dave, I'm with you. I uh, <laughs> I, I, I like that. Uh, that's a it's a it's one of my favorite plants as well. It's amazing what you can do with the plant. And it would soak up the market. It would soak. It, you'd give the farmers a legitimate income, and um, you know the illegal market would uh, have to find something else to do. Yeah. If nothing else, which which means that these farmers would have a livelihood and a legal livelihood and they could, you know, they could make an honest living and they could develop and we could, you know, I mean, that's gotta be a good thing, right? Yes. And those two, you know, you're, I asked you that question, um, the originally thinking that you were going to like rattle off a statistic of, you know, dollars spent or drugs seized or addiction, man, but your answer just blew my mind. That just blew my mind because we just talked. I just, I asked Dave maybe a few weeks ago, I said, Dave, how many undiscovered plants or things or drugs do you think there are, you know, in the world? And he said thousands. He said there's probably, and it made me think about it on a bigger scale, but I had no idea, none that, and I cover this shit constantly. So that's why I'm kind of shocked. I, I really loved it that there's 20 to 30 new synthesized drugs developed a year that scares the shit out of me because with fentanyl and carfentanil becoming so prominent now, it's really not helping our cause. Those things are not helping us with our cause, which is to push the anti-drug war agenda to the point that we have sensible drug laws that treat um, addicts and sufferers um as patients and have a compassion and then treats people fairly and equitably um across all the races um because i'm sure you know and every one of our listeners knows if you're a regular listener that we cover 
the disparities and and all of that and and the race and and the money spent and uh you know over 50% of all uh drug busts are for a gram or less so it's a really it's really attack on the users and and so going back to the original subject i have a follow up question so in your in your opinion you think that the natural based drugs uh the natural plant based drugs if they were available, readily available to people that wanted to use them in moderation and responsibility, that the synthesized, the demand for the synthesized drug would be either less or non-existent? You know, it's hard to say. And by the way, I need to correct myself. I was being conservative because I didn't have the number in front of me and I didn't want to misstate it. But um, actually, the number of new psychoactive substances is around 50 to 60 a year, or it's around 50 or 60 a year these days. It's kind of, um, it's, uh, yeah. Anyway, the, um, it's, it's likely that a lot of people would, you know, not bother with the synthesized kind of processed, more dangerous varieties. I mean, people don't really want to hurt themselves. I mean, well, not everyone wants to hurt themselves, but people are into what they're into. But when you're experimenting with things like substance, I mean, people don't. Some folks will go out and try and uh, try and start out with a uh, shot of Everclear, I suppose. But most people start with beer, <laughs> and a lot of people don't go much farther than that. You know, right. you'll have people right. who do extreme risk taking. I'll grant you that's true. You know, that most people just ride their bikes on the street. Every few thousand kids you'll find who will ride their bike off the roof of their house. <laughs> now, you know, it's a thing and it happens and you've just got to figure out ways that people who want to take risks can do so, but in a way where they're not going to get themselves or anyone else killed. Yeah. Well, the I mean, more, the more educated they are, the less apt they're to do that because I truly believe to stem off of that and sorry to interrupt, but I just have to say this while I'm thinking about it is, um, the the stem off that is if the drugs if this plant-based drugs are in a regulated tested market i think that the demand for synthesized will go down because probably nine times out of ten the person that's taking the the fentanyl or the car fentanyl doesn't that ain't what they bought they either bought heroin or cocaine that was that people that they laced with car fentanyl or fentanyl you understand so i think a lot of this i think a lot of that uh, a lot of those synthetic drugs are injected into the normal recreational drug market because then you can cut it and charge more and, you know, uh, make more profit that way. Oh, very much so. And in fact, <laughs> that's one of the places where it gets really scary. I mean, there's a, there's a strong push in the harm reduction community for drug safety testing at things like festivals, but frankly, we need drug safety testing in a lot of places. So we'll have fentanyl testing strips that are being made available at uh, syringe exchanges, so people can, or people can either bring this stuff and have it tested if it's clandestinely, or take the stuff away and test. Um, the fentanyl and carfentanil are, by the way, synthetic opioids. The um, synthetics, right? Um, these safety testing things. It's well. Let's see. There's a substance, the slang is a 25-N-bomb. It's a psychedelic. It's similar to LSD, and sometimes it's sold um, 
in Colville last year. It's uh, really it's this 25 N bomb, and it's it's really kind of dangerous. But no, not kind of. It, it has a lethal dose that a person can actually reach. Um, it's 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 hella dangerous. If you're blast for days, I mean, you think you're taking a regular quantity of LSD, and instead, a few days later, you are still tripping, and wow. you are scared as hell, and oh, you might shit. actually be, I mean, it's a toxic substance. Like I say, you can actually take a lethal dose. This, um, <laughs> what, what is the name? True, but I, a friend of mine ended up having this happen to her, and I've talked to a friend who does psychedelic harm reduction in festivals with the Zendo Project. Brilliant project, by the way, the Zendo Project. Um, they do the psychedelic harm reduction things at festivals. It's, uh, it's like the, uh, the chill-out tent, as it were, where people go and they're having the bad trips. And there are people there who are trained who can take um, help to care for them. What, so um, is, what is the name of that 25, drug? 25 M bomb? 25 N bomb. And there's a Nancy find you the chemical name for it it's um i've never heard of this drug this is fascinating i've never even heard of this this is a it's a new it's a cc yeah two cc nbome is the uh is the scientific name but it's just 25 n bomb 25 m bomb holy shit yeah like i say it's it's and it's just this, this really scary thing when you have the, um, yeah, it's a scary thing when you have these new psychedelic substances because people think they're getting one thing, they end up getting another. And fentanyl is the, is the big example. See, this is a, it's weird. In the European Union, there's actually a much, much more well-informed discussion on the NPS topic, on, the, on these new psychoactive substances. In fact, that's where a lot of the tracking that I've been following uh, is coming from is the European Union. In the U.S., you just don't hear a lot about these new psychoactive drugs. You hear about you hear the fentanyl thing because of the overdoses. You hear, if you're looking at electronic dance music and and with the harm reduction scene, you might know about psychedelics. Um, you might know a bit about things like N-bomb, but maybe not because it's it's just not a thing we talk about in the U.S. That's why when you ask that. I thought that was the best chance I had to 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 let American listeners know this is the thing that's happening. Yeah, that's a, yeah. It's very interesting, and it's something that threw me totally off. Even somebody that covers the drug war uh, on a daily basis. I mean, I just I, I'm aware of it, and we talk about it, and we talk about where do all these things come from. Like we covered a drug in Russia called crocodile. Have you ever heard of that drug? Uh. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah, the, so uh, yeah. that's a very... A controversy about a decade ago in the, in the U.S. over whether people were um, using crocodile here. I mean, you're getting abscesses and such, which are related, but yeah. It's absolutely rest. crazy. It's nuts. So there's creation of these synthetic drugs. And going back to my libertarian roots, um, you know, it goes back to supply, demand, and fill of that void and also... Um, so, you know, as long as there's the, the demand for the use of drugs, there's always going to be the supply. And if you don't find a way to regulate that or get involved with it, it's always going to be there. And I think with the synthesized, uh, the NPS, um, what, what the new uh, psychoactive substances uh, list or whatever continues to grow, I think it's just the underground 
uh, drug cartels and uh, drug lords that are staying ahead of the game. They're they're staying ahead of the of the game, and and they're they're run like businesses. They're streamlining a new processes to make higher profits. It's almost like now, you know, you always had an underground black market for drugs and you always had this black market that's not uh, regulated or I don't even know if they can accurately put numbers on it because how can you? It's a black market. I mean, how do, <laughs> you're not, I mean, you can put your best estimates on everything, but I think it's really larger than it is. And um, now they're now they're even more organized. They're like companies. You know, it's not, it's no longer just a, it's more longer like a cartel. It's a, you know, they have political pull. They have, uh, there's a lot of geopolitics involved with this. Some countries know exactly what's going on in their country and there's different views on it. So I think it's, uh, overall it's, it's going to be impossible to stop. Once we start going down this path and we're creating all these synthetic drugs, I mean, you're going to be able to as powerful as they are. You can probably supply, I mean, just with carfentanil, for instance, the dose is so small that you can literally, you know, have millions of doses in your backpack or even in your suitcase or your fucking, you know, your fanny pack or whatever you wear. I mean, there's, it's just, it's crazy. So it's creating a product they can get in the country easier that's uh, 10 times as more potent, that's uh, cheaper to produce, and they're going to have, uh, they don't care about the overdoses and stuff. They don't give a shit about that. They're, it's, they're, they're just a company, but an underground black market company, you know? The alcohol industry is aware that there are thousands of people who die every year from alcohol overdose. They are aware that there are many thousands more people who die every year from alcohol-related illnesses or from strokes or from all the other things that medically occur. They're aware of the people who die in accidents. They're aware of the people who do that. But, you know, hey, it's a drink. Right. The tobacco industry was in denial for a long time about the hundreds of thousands of people who die in the United States alone because of the use of their product used as intended. But, you know, hey, they're making money. It's a... Uh, <laughs> So how do we make it to find the precursor to the, the plant drugs? People turn to the chemicals they can synthesize. When we make it tougher to get some of the precursor chemicals, we turn to others. There are things called synthetic cathinones, which are basically the, um, the sort of synthetic versions of cocaine or synthetic um, amphetamine-like substances. I mean, the amphetamines themselves are are synthetic, but the cathinones. What we're going to I've been, for the last few years, watching the indicators as the um, amount and the usage of, of stimulant drugs has been on the rise. And now we're actually seeing the public health officials starting to speak up about increasing involvement of stimulants in overdoses and just an increasing, aware of, an increasing presence of stimulant drugs in the area. It's rather sad. The um, National Food NIDA used to have this thing called the Community Epidemiology Working Group, which was uh, was people from around the country, public health and law enforcement and community um, workers who got together every quarter and discussed the trends in their area as far as drug use and drug availability. 
which meant that you would get a picture of what was happening in terms of drug use, new substances coming up or, the, you know, a substance that was on the increase. You could be aware of that and actually track some of the trends. They stopped that um, CEWG that disbanded, stopped the work a few years ago. But um, so we probably would have had a little, little better warning about all that. So right. synthetic cathinone, that new psychoactive substance, that's what we're going to see. If the cocaine trafficking, if they actually manage to put a dent in it, well, that'll be, a, that'll be, I would be a miracle. What we're going to see is going to be an increase in these synthetic cathinones, which can be developed using precursor chemicals and don't rely on the use of these plants. Yeah. And I mean, you're right, it's a company. So it's yeah. like it's, they are companies, they are corporations. It's the same model that the that the, uh, the mafia used many decades ago. And, you know, they moved their way into legitimate business, but they're still doing these things. And when you have a rival come along with a similar product, well, you know, <laughs> they're illegal products. So I'm, I'm going to go on record. Get all bloody. I'm going to go on record right now and say that Aldi's is a cocaine smuggler. <laughs> really there's been multiple cocaine cocaine shipments called in uh of, of all these caught with cocaine in it i mean really there's been three three in a row and two of them were record-breaking the highest cocaine amounts ever busted in germany that's and they, true. they were in all they're in frozen strawberries they're in bananas and Peppers. i think that's the first thing i think of all these supermarkets i don't know if you have those out in portland but it's a german-based supermarket where they only have they have everything in one store, and you have to go through the aisles in a certain way. There's only like two people working the entire store, so you know you got to put a quarter in the cart to uh, get your shopping cart. So you put it back and get your quarter back. There's a lot of different, yeah. So these shopping markets are—it's a huge, it's a billion-dollar industry, and they keep getting caught with cocaine in their shipments. And I'm saying this is all right. I'm not. I'm. I'm not serious. Obviously, I'm being facetious about that, but it makes you think. It makes you think like. How many of these legitimate corporations, like these shipping corporations, these natural resource corporations, how many of them started with drug money or how many of them still, uh, you know, ship? Because you have to have resources. If you if you have we cover stories all the time, all the time about a cargo ship that got caught with millions of dollars in drugs on it. And it came from South America. It stopped in Venezuela. It stopped. Stopped here, stopped, it got busted, but it finally got busted in Europe somewhere where it had, you know, multiple drugs on it and multiple cargoes worth millions of dollars. That's not just done by a, you know, a Bolivian farmer in a mountain somewhere. That's not all coordinated by somebody like that. That's that takes a lot of uh, resources and it takes a lot of knowing, you know, people and you got to have people on the inside. And, you know, they say it's impossible to check all those cargo uh, containers, but I gotta, I gotta believe that there's a reason for that stuff. I think some of it's allowed. I think some of it's, uh, I think the drug war is kind of uh, a self-funded machine now. Well, it's really funded off our backs, but it's a self-perpetual machine as far as who the interest to keep it going. Um, have you ever heard of a guy uh, in Australia called Matt Fraser? He has DrugTruthAustralia.org. Have you ever heard of the, uh, that website? The which one now? org. Huh. Um, uh, I, I, 
probably have, but tell me about what. Yes, it's mean. it's basically. I mean, he's the same. You know, he has the same views that we do and everything, obviously. And he has a website that he he puts a lot of uh, he puts a lot of facts and a lot of things about the drug war. Uh, but one of the things, one of his theories, yeah. is that this drug war was very well contrived. And it was designed to keep um, low, you know, pressure and control of low economic, uh, you know, people with uh, people that are less economically, you know, armed. And and I have to believe it's very successful. It's very successful. So, you know, we say the failed drug war, you know, we say this drug war is a failure. It is. But at the same time, his view is it's a great success because it's very purposeful. And it was the catalyst of it was very um, you know, had an agenda behind it that's that's being followed. So it's just a. Well, you know, it, what you whether it whether the um, you got to ask a question eventually. I suppose if you have something like the like the war on drugs that's been going on for so long, where you have it creating an underclass of people with criminal records over garbage, where you have you know people in other nations being oppressed and have and forced into a sort of awful economic situation where they have to break a lot to survive when you have all these things that have continued to happen for decades and decades you gotta ask if maybe that was the point in the first place and you know whether it was a conspiracy or whether it's just this is what's happening hmm well this is really advantageous okay let's just keep this going it start because of that who can say it's like the chicken the chicken or the egg because of all that (laughs) exactly it certainly continues because of all that stuff that's you know that's that's yeah it reaches that and you know the thing is you have in we we get all kinds of stories about major u.s corporations and others operating in some of these countries like colombia where there's been a civil war for decades and some of these other drug producing companies or countries rather that have to pay protection to the um, to the to the syndicate to the cartels to the kidnapping gangs, they have to pay protection. They shell out a lot of money to not have their workers and their executives kidnapped and, and killed. Right. So it's not a real stretch to think that at some level to operate safely in a port, for instance, or out of some major city. To uh, to that's my major stretch to think that some of these companies are being blackmailed into uh, into assisting with transportation of goods and such. I mean, that's when you when you think about it, that's kind of likely. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. It's very interesting stuff. And you know, I don't go into it too often, but the reality is. I don't want it to turn into like that is a pretty that's a pretty big thing to wrap your head around um, oh. as as far as you know for anybody to wrap their head around and I just don't want it to be thought of as like turn into like the latest conspiracy theory type thing because then you then it's not you know I always we always joke around and we have a lot of uh, different things that we like to uh, yeah go ahead no no hold well, no, it hold I, it now. Okay, welcome back. We got um, Doug McVeigh. Thank you for being on, man. I just wanted to, I want to ask you a question regarding the solution, okay? Because we talk about that a lot. And, and I'll share ours with you and then, and then maybe some thought from some other guys 
like uh, if you're familiar with uh, Dr. Julian Buchanan from New Zealand, uh, a big uh, uh, advocate for anti-drug war and advocate, we kind of go along with some of what he sees as getting out of this drug war. And then our view is Mm -hmm. anything plant based that is that is a drug, um, you know, the 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 big ones, cocaine, heroin, marijuana, cannabis or cannabis or even um, kratom, these other drugs, as long as it's plant based, we think it could be regulated, tested, given safely in doses and, and taxed. We do believe that um, with the synthetic well, stuff, we're, we're kind of unsure about that. So so what do you think? How would you see like if we had a magic wand and we said this is how we're going to end the drug war, what would be the solution to get out of it? Scrap everything and start all over, right? I mean, the, we've had decades of prohibition, so a lot of people have trouble thinking about how to deal with the currently illegal drugs in any other way. When you've got the plant-based um, I mean, it's, it's, you can almost make a distinction. Well, it's a plant and the synthetic thing, the thing you synthesize from it, there's the drug. Now, that is the thing that people could, you know, wrap their heads around pretty easily. So, I mean, that doesn't cover everything, but it actually is a, you know, remarkably, it's a remarkably simple and, well, you know, kind of, I think, brilliant. Like I say, this is, the, this is what the yippies were talking about way back in the 1980s and, and others, and others. A uh, professor, a uh, researcher, one of the early AIDS researchers, had a uh, great shirt about ending drug prohibition with the poppy of the coca plant and the marijuana plant on the front and the number of people who were being arrested on the back. And, um, and uh, you know, Jerry had it right back then. It's... <sighs> Yeah, it's a, it's a trick. No, it's a tricky, it's a tricky way out because let's say that, let's say that I've had, I had a huge, uh, pro drug war person on, which I have not, I have not in my experience here for the last, for the, for the last year, we have failed to get anybody on or anybody that even wants to talk to us, uh, uh, a pro drug war stance period. Okay. So Say we did. Say I was talking to somebody and I changed their mind. I changed their. I started. They started. I could see it in their eyes. They got that eureka moment. Like, dude, you're you're totally right with all this knowledge. Now I can make a better decision. And I say, and then they say, well, what's the solution? So what do you do? And then I'm like, well, <laughs> figure it out. Funny you should say that. Um, but as we as we cover addiction, we cover the stories. We we co- it seems like the simplest solution because you're never going to be able to stop, even if even with like um all right for instance cannabis in many states it's legalized it's uh, tested it's available for sale, but there's still a black market for it. There's still a black market for cannabis. It's uh you didn't really t- you didn't really take the black you didn't eliminate it but what you did was you eliminated the cartels from shipping over their bud because now people can get it here and grow it here it's like you know you cut in and there's still shipments i, I mean we cover there's still shipments of cannabis coming into the country no doubt about it but not as big as they used to be and i think eventually we'll get to the point where somebody that wants good quality safe high quality cannabis now has the access to get that. And I think 
as we go through different drugs, as we go through psilocybin, as we go, because I think that's the next one. I think that's already paved its way. It's trending to be the second cannabis movement. And then with mm-hmm. cocaine, which I don't know how far those ones are behind, but I think it's going to be kind of like this once we start trickling trickling into the bucket, um, it, before you know it, it's going to be overflowing because as the education comes out and people start get waking up, uh, I think it's just the beginning, honestly. On the psychedelics, you might be right, but I'm, I would uh, I would say that mushrooms have a uh, have the lead on that one at the moment ahead of uh, ahead of LSD. I mean, it, it it's it, there's research in, but the research with mushrooms and uh, psilocybin is actually advancing quite a bit. There's a good possibility that we'll have some actual psilocybin therapy approved in a few years, and certainly there's initiative in the state of Oregon as well as uh, as well as another going on to try and legalize um, psilocybin therapy, um, decriminalizing the, uh, the, the the psilocybin and to create a therapy sort of uh, state based kind um, of thing. It's I mean it's an interesting it's an interesting proposal. I was talking to Rick Doblin from Maps a few months ago, about a year ago, I guess. Um, about this thing is actually more in favor of the broader decrim than this other, just because psilocybin is so darn close to being approved for actual psychotherapy. Now, that's just for therapy. So if you're using it outside of that, that's eh, still illegal. As you were saying, there's still an illegal market. Um, so an illegal market for cannabis. I mean, for that matter, there's still an illegal market for booze. In some places, there are dry counties. Yeah. It just means you're not allowed to sell it there. You can still bring it back to a dry county drink. But um, but there are people who make their own um, liquor, whiskey, yeah. you know, the moonshine kind of thing. Or well, even on a smaller level, it's like, yeah, you're only legally allowed to do wine and beer. So if you do anything else, it's actually against the law. Right. And then you'll have people doing things like going to a very low-tax state, whether it's alcohol or cigarettes, and picking up quantity and then taking it back to their state for use either for resale or maybe they're doing a catering catering event and they needed a couple of cases of whiskey. It's a lot cheaper to cross the state line and pick it up. It's just illegal. So you've got, um, you know, things happen like that, right? It's, is, um, it's kind of how can. the, it's kind of how the four, the, the forefathers probably envisioned it that, that maybe you're, you know, the law according to where you, I think America was the vision of it was supposed to be, you can live in a place where your values are respected. And I think if you want to go live in Las Vegas, you want to go, I'm not stereotyping people that live in Las Vegas, but I'm saying, you know, you get the point is if you want to, you know, you want to live in a highly religious conservative community, there's one out there for you and they can, they can make laws that are, that are stupid sometimes, but um, I think that's kind of the gist of it, but I think, uh, the freedom to do that is where, is where, uh, where is kind of where we fail. I think uh, as far as well, that, and it's how much control you have to have to be able to stop people from doing something. When you're talking about a plant or a fungus, well, plants just drop a seed in the ground. I mean, I'll grant you the growing uh, conditions for coke that aren't prime here in this country, most everywhere. I guess you could actually, but um, you know, how do you? I mean, yeah, stopping people from putting a seed in the ground or into a container that's in the closet of their bedroom—that's not going to happen. That's why it's so 
bloody hard for them to actually um, try and control supplant drugs. It's, I mean, it's just flipping plants. When you're talking about synthetic, then you're talking about precursor chemicals, and then you're talking about processes and equipment and a lot of stuff that can be involved, and you know, maybe there's flammable materials or toxic gases, and so you've got other issues. Synthetics and that are a little easier to control or at least detect. And that's the other side of why plant meat drug legalization makes a lot of sense, because how on earth are you going to control it? How do you actually <laughs> stop it? You know, you sort can. of having a camera on every corner and in every room at your house. Yeah. And that's, yeah. That's well, you would have exactly. to, I'm not trying to give them any ideas, man, but they would have to control the soil. Oh. That's the easiest not, way. We're not giving them. We're yeah. not, that's not giving they them. They'd have to idea. control that's the sun. No, we know that there's a, there are people, there are people who at some level realize that is the only way you can control a society. And we know that there have been cases throughout history of people rising who wants that level of control. I know. And it's absolutely. It's up to people yeah. like ourselves to just say, nah. No, this is not acceptable. Going, we want to, speaking of uh, cannabis and controlling plants, we want to cover our first story. It's from marijuanamovement.net. And this is covering the story that I'm sure every pro cannabis or even person that's paying attention to Twitter should know by now. The marijuana legalization uh, we'll get a we'll get a floor vote this Congress. Uh, the chairman is predicting because the House Judiciary Committee said Tuesday that it's optimistic about the prospect of getting its comprehensive marijuana legalization bill out out of committee and onto the floor by the end of this Congress. Um, during the press conference, the lawmakers and advocates, Chair uh, Chairman Gerald Nadler. A Democrat from New York, who also told Marijuana Movement that part of the reason he expects floor time is because he's actively communicating with other committee chairs, requesting that they waive jurisdiction of the reform legislation to expedite its process. So it's called the Moore Act, and you mentioned it earlier. Um, do you see this thing, Pat? Do you th- see this thing going anywhere? Because there's been similar marijuana talk on the federal level and it just seems like at the end somebody's always somebody drops the ball on it well see that's the thing there's been talk quite a lot of it in the last few years but um but it usually stops short of going somewhere the more act which is the marijuana opportunity reinvestment and equity act of 2019 is a it's a strong bill the chair of the judiciary committee jerry nadler is the lead sponsor of that legislation. Um, in this Democratic-controlled Congress, there is a lot of support for not just not just letting states create um, you know, shaky little legalization schemes where political, um, politically connected insiders can make a bundle by getting into the business. It's exactly which, what it uh, is. Folks can make a, which like, like, like California, basically. Yes, it's exactly um, what yeah. it is. Thank you. Yes. Oh, God. I've been watching from, from up here, and it's just, uh, ugh, it's horrible. So the, um, it, 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 this is, it's a, it's a good bill. And as the chair of the judiciary, Jerry Nadler has a little bit of pull. As the, uh, you know, and it wasn't just the Democrats. If this was a partisan thing, then, well, who knows what would happen. But if this was a 24 to 10 vote that moved this, I mean, the markup session was 
they still have a few people who are quite obviously unwilling to consider the idea, but um, yeah, they were far outnumbered. And the backers were making excellent points. So, so you're 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 optimistic that this is going to at least make it to Senate. Well, it'll get to the House floor for sure, and and I would imagine it will pass. I'm not at the Senate. I think it'll it'll die. Probably there is a version of this in the Senate. Oh, I got you. There's already a version of this bill in the Senate. It's sponsored by Kamala Harris. There's been no scheduled uh, hearing. There's been nothing. Yeah. Because the Senate leadership really doesn't want this kind of thing. Like I say, if it's a small thing, it's politically connected insiders making a bunch of money that they could simply pull the plug on in a heartbeat if they wanted to, no worries. I wonder how many of those opposing politicians are on the corporatized prison lobby or, uh, yeah, police union lobby or anything. I wonder how many of those guys are on the lobby for who benefits from keeping this federally illegal this is keeping this drug federally illegal is so stupid it is so stupid because 31 states and counting are just doing their own thing and you're preventing a uh, it could be even a huger i mean uh, it could be a, a much much bigger profitable uh tax uh revenue for for the government if they re- removed all the restrictions on banking and, you know, they're still like busting people that have trucks full of hemp driving through states. I mean, this is just it's starting to get to the point where it's like if you don't pass something like this, you are really losing the respect of uh, the country's just going to do it anyways. And then you look stupid anyway. You know, that's the thing that. It, there's a there's a level at which it's, it's just like oh come on and get on with it already, and that is the attitude that we're seeing. I mean, it's it is going to run into a roadblock at the Senate, but it doesn't. You know, you keep on trying. Hey, in 1980 in 1986, that looking marijuana initiative ballot measure got 26 point something percent of the votes, and everyone on the other side was laughing their heads off. They were at this with the end. Why are these idiots even bothering? Ah, look how bad we beat them. Uh, we crushed them into the dust. And that's why when I went to normal, when I went to work at normal in 1987, I made sure to tell everybody that I saw and every reporter I ran into about the Oregon Marijuana Initiative and the fight we put up and the numbers of people we had supporting and the kinds of things that we were able to accomplish because, you know, Information is power. People realize something can happen. I mean, when they know that something can actually happen, normal in 1986, 1986, normal was dying off. They had just turned into a 501c3. Funding was just melting away. Supporters, ah, who cares anymore? With the Republicans in power, it was a hopeless cause. Nobody thought anything could happen. Uh, yeah, they came out. They came out with the. Reagan, Reagan, Reagan really tightened up the bell. He really turned up the notches on the drug war in the eighties. Oh, so we had the yeah. we had the first lady herself actually urge a no vote on our initiative. We had the vice president. We had two U.S. attorneys not only speak out against it; they wrote letters from their office to every elected official in the state. Not a violation of the Hatch Act. We tried that, but there's an exception when it comes to ballot measures. 
So yeah. the feds could do what they wanted. And with all that, we even had, there was even a push inside of Congress for the 86 drug bill to include a provision that would have stripped highway funds from any state that decriminalized a Schedule One drug. That one was stopped by one of the senators from New York, one of the most corrupt men in the Senate, um, Al D'Amato. It's surprising what can happen. But um, so normal got back on of, normal got back on track. You were saying normal almost went, went. after I got out. Well, after I got out there in '87, we my gosh did. And part of the reason was something can happen. We can accomplish something. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we didn't win this time, but you know, John Sajo was the director of the Oregon Marijuana Initiative campaign in '84 and '86. John Sajo was also the the um, director of Voter Power, an organization that led the effort for dispensaries back in 2004 and in 2012, and he was also one of the people involved in the medical uh, medical initiative back in 98. We never went away. If you just can't let those naysayers, you can't let them win. They want to beat you before you start. They are always out there arguing that, why are you bothering? It's never going to work. It's never going to happen. You're just going to fail. Why? You just don't even try. Sit down in your corner and shut up. And you just gotta, well, you just gotta respond appropriately. Yeah. Wave hello with the middle digit, and just <laughs> keep on. Keep you on you double down, dude. You double you double down and keep it moving. You double it down and keep exactly. it moving. There's always more. You know, it's it's a it's all about popularity, and it's all about getting the word out and the education out. We have the means to do that. We have this podcast. You have the internet. We have ties with lawmakers we're for we're forming a network we have you know all of our guests from yourself to claudia mirandi to justin neal out at uh, marijuana delivery services.com to matt frazier we all have this connected uh ideal that needs to go forward and when the naysayers come and when they say these things that's what you just double down and keep it moving and and go, speaking of keeping it moving, we got one more story I wanted to cover with you and get your opinion on. And this is from sure. the New York Times. It's the, it's called it's an opinion piece called the latest failure in the war on drugs. And I don't really like covering opinion pieces and reading them um, on the show because it's not uh, just a bunch of facts. But it's interesting because they're talking about uh, and here they bring up the rapper Mac Miller and uh tyler skaggs the pitcher for the uh, la uh for the angels who died from overdoses and how the the government uh and the authorities are going after the drug dealers and charging them um as for murder uh and there's another example there's a, a law called Kristen's law um in rhode island and someone that uh, who overdoses, they can be if they supply the drugs that 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 cause the overdose, they can spend a life in set, uh, a life sentence in prison. You know what? We should have covered that with Claudia. We just had her on. Yeah, yeah. So these laws have been enacted in at least twenty five states, and, and there's more adopting them. So they're they're they they return to the war on drugs approach which has shown that it's very unsuccessful um, to to imprison someone for life uh, because they sold an illicit drug. Um, it, it, I, I'm kind of torn on this uh, in some way, but at the same time, you made an excellent point earlier. You made an excellent point. 
alcohol companies have known for years that people die from alcoholism, that they overdose from alcoholism, and it's legal and taxed and everything. And and there's still an underground market for that. But at the same time, what's your opinion on life sentences for someone who supplies someone with drugs if they overdose? Well, see, that's the thing. I mean, we... we yeah, actually, I had a long conversation with you recently with a professor at Florida University, or Florida Law School, rather, John Fass, um, on the excessive penalties that we impose on people, even for violent crimes. And that's the big problem. It's not just mass incarceration, it's this idea of mass punishment. And so it's just, I mean, that's just an example of our, of our obsession with mass punishment, with the idea that someone... You know, if you can trace back the person that they got the drug from, they overdose, like, oh, we'll put you away in prison forever for this. I mean, they're already breaking the law and living in awareness that they're going to probably go to jail or prison at some point. So is that really going to help? The possibility that they're actually going to get caught, you know, is a thing that people weigh into the equation all the time. I mean, it's also a high-risk thing if you're actually dealing drugs, if you're dealing narcotics, there's a possibility that you could die as just part of the course of doing business. But yeah, I, yeah, yeah. You and know what? You it, know it, what? It's a risk you're taking on. The thing is about this story that makes it hard for me is that in one of the cases, Massachusetts Supreme Court struck down a conviction of a young man who, um, because there was not enough evidence that he would have known and this is the problem. If I covered the original story, Eric Sotokori's death, he had been caught in a sting by undercover campus police and forced, forced into becoming an informant, a confidential informant for the campus police department that was doing drug investigations, which is an absolute just... I mean, that's a horror show. Can right. you imagine? Have you ever been to a? You've been to a college campus. You've seen the idiots with the with the little blue suits and the badges who run around and unlock doors for people. Those in a lot of cases, more and more schools. Those are sworn law enforcement officers with weapons and the authority to use them. These are sketches. I mean, it's like Barney Five being given an AK forty-seven. <laughs> it's scary. <laughs> Yeah, it's so it seems like it's yeah. super irresponsible to give someone so much power that they can do drug investigations on a college campus by security. Yeah, that doesn't even seem like it's real, but it's it's very yeah. real. But at the same time, that's the problem. It's like yeah, these these excessively long sentences don't really work, and you know, yeah, and a lot of the times you're getting basically people who are simply getting some narcotic. And getting a little more because if they, you know, you can buy three, get one free. You remember yeah. the old saying, right? right? So maybe that's what they were doing. Are you actually getting the, the bigger fish, the kingpins, the, the people who are importing it? No. No. Because it's, the, because it's the person you're rubbing elbows with in the law. And the, and, and, and the different, <laughs> that's the problem is, though, on, when you're high level like that, you're rubbing elbows with some, you're, you're, you got connections. You ain't just like, you know, oh, yeah. they know who you are. You're at the same country clubs. So, you're hey. Playing golf at the same courses. That's a great, yeah. They're, they're playing the same course. There's, um, so I have a solution to this that I just thought of while you were talking. Uh, 
They should take the money that they spend on a maximum lifetime sentence and buy cocaine. <laughs> that's what that's Dave's solution. I like that one too. But the other solution I think would if they take that same budget and that money and they put it towards safe drug testing available for everyone. So if you you know if you're buying some some recreational drugs you know say guys haven't all right i'm just painting a scenario okay this is a scenario there's a couple stockbrokers they're going to take their buddy out for his bachelor party they're going to go out to a strip club they got money they're going to go out and party the guy gets hey i'm going to get some party drugs because you know they're gonna this guy's getting married they need to celebrate like no other celebration never this has to happen So he goes and gets some, he scores some premium grade A Peruvian flake. And then he goes back, he says, hey guys, I got the party favors. I'm going to get the party going. We're going to go to the strip club. He's coordinating now. Hold on. Stop by the fucking health department and grab them strips. Not the STD strips. Well, you might need those too. You might need those. (laughs) Grab those too. But grab your drug testing. Go grab those drug drug testing strips from the sheriff's department. Make sure that that shit's good. You know what I mean? I mean, I know that's kind of outrageous, but that's kind of how it would be. I think those kind of scenarios, you know you're going to do something. You might as well be safe. safe, yeah. In both both cases. Well, that's the, and that's the other side of it. You know, that is... What that, uh, you know, picking up that bit of extra so to have fun for this, whether it's maybe a fifth concert you're going to, an electronic dance music festival. Oh, that's huge. Yeah, oh. that's huge. That's where all oh, the, yeah. that's where the drug, that's, that's where the drug pill testing needs to start. It needs to be available at those festivals. When you get, when you get a uh, permit to have that festival in that municipality, that municipality should say, okay, you can have that here if you have standardized pill drug testing uh, that we're going to have available. No questions asked. If somebody walks up, test your yeah. Great point. Yeah. Well, and that's what I say. The tricky bit because then you do that, you get three, you get three tabs instead of just the one. Your friends come over, they do, they split them up. Okay, great, and they pay you back for the money that you spent to get it because you know it's not like it's a charity you're running. And that's when the guy who's the friend of your friend opens up his wallet, shows you the badge, and you end up in handcuffs, and the campus police are sweating you, telling you that you have to turn confidential informant or else the folks are going to know why it is you've lost your scholarship and have been suspended. And and uh, a student died last week from an overdose, so we're going to charge you with his death Murder. because uh, you well, didn't yeah, know. That you know. And then there's what? that, too. So not only are you, not only were you gonna, going on your way to being a productive member of society, now you're going to be a total drain because when you get out of prison, you're not going to be able to do anything with you. Well, it's a maximum lifetime prison. I mean, I mean, you're going to be there forever. And if you get out, you can't get a job. You can't go and start. I mean, what are you going to do? They won't hire you. I mean, come on. Or you turn CI and then everything was supposed to be con- was supposed to be confidential, but your name turns up on the witness list that the prosecution puts forward. So the person you're going to testify against finds out about it. You get all stressed out. You go off. You get in touch with someone who brings you a bindle or something. Take care of everything. The next day they find you in the bathroom dead. Yes. All really. These are all scenarios that happen every. That's- they happen all the time. People have to understand this. This is. This it's is what, what happens, happens to Eric in Corey. Oh, okay. It's what happened to Eric Sinicori at the University of Massachusetts. 
That's just that's what, absolutely that's why these are tricky because if, in a way, I mean, actually, if they had evidence that that little prick, pardon me, if they had evidence that the person who sold him that intentionally sold him a hot shot, knowing he was going to die, I'd have to say he maybe deserves some time in this manner. Yeah. But if it was just a legitimate thing and it's like, hey, it just happened, maybe it was one of the first instances of fentanyl reaching the marketplace. That was 2008, not likely. But maybe. Yeah, it could so be. Yeah, there was an accident. And that's the, that's, that's the thing. Reading, reading is just an accident. That's the danger. That's the danger of this thing. Hey, I think we're going to go ahead and close out the podcast uh, based on the discussions that we've had. I think that's a perfect way. I think that we have solutions. I think we have a, a united front to educate everyone and let them know exactly what's going on because you don't hear about these things. You don't hear about MPS. You don't hear about 25 M bomb. You don't know this stuff till we bring it to you. So, Doug McVeigh, thank you for being a guest on the show. Thanks, man. We hope to have you on again. Like I was saying in the break, the facts, they've always shown that the drug war is a failure, that there has to be a change. They've always shown that there's a better way. It's just that it's taken a long time to get there because you need to have people who care and people who will talk about this stuff and keep on, keep on fighting a good fight. And I am really just as grateful as I can be to you guys for the work that you're doing because this is how we win. Yes, it is. Yes. We're in it together, man. Good message. All right, man. Take it easy.